0: You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature consisting of horror films, spy films, exploitation movies, erotic thrillers, sex comedies, and the like. Our ultimate goal is to determine if these two movies, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600, would make for a good drive-in double feature. We will be going through the plots of these movies in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, feel free to check them out before listening to us, and we'll be sure to point out if and when these films are available on various streaming services. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates, that's at DriveInPodcasts, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces, and let's get started. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim. All right, Jim, we've got Alien and G.I. Blues, a kind of a weird mix of sci-fi horror and Elvis Presley romp, I guess you could say.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Now, before I get into Alien, I want to ask you a question. What do you think of Ridley Scott?
0: Like, as a man or as a filmmaker? (laughs) Uh,
1: As a fighter. Yeah, as as a filmmaker. What do you think of him?
0: I've never been the biggest fan. I've never felt an emotion watching a Ridley Scott movie. Granted, I've only seen like three or four. I've seen Gladiator, Blade Runner, and this. Well, I guess Prometheus. And didn't he direct Alien Covenant?
1: Uh, yes, I believe he did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, those those last two don't help a whole lot, especially the last one. I, I think he's really good at visuals. I don't know. I just, um, I, I'm never able to really get sucked into his movies the way I would like to.
1: I agree with you. I think he's really good at visuals, but I also want you to know that he's fucking crazy, and uh, just keep that in the back of your head for when we get to the end of Alien. You know, I think everybody's heard stories about him working on Blade Runner and adding the whole unicorn scene and doing multiple cuts of the movie, and it's just, it's it's all... Oh, ridiculous.
0: yeah, the multiple cuts is a nightmare. I, I admit, I don't know what we're going to actually do if we get to Blade Runner because it's on our list. I don't know what cut to go with.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's with that one, there's too many to choose from.
0: But I guess I guess just stick with the normal one. There is no normal one. There's, oh, yeah, I guess you're there's right. There's <laughs> like four different ones that have gotten DVD and Blu-ray releases.
1: <laughs> but with Alien, as far as I know, there's probably more than two cuts. But I think the two main cuts are the theatrical cut and the director's cut. It adds five new minutes, five minutes of new scenes. but at the end of the movie, it, it's it's actually like a minute or so shorter than the theatrical version. So he like he just cut out a lot of like walking and kind of expository stuff. He says that he likes the theatrical version better, which I've seen both. I watched both of them for this. <laughs> Why did he do a director? Ah, I did. I've never. No he said. He said it was. Uh, I was watching this interview with him, and he said it was for publicity. <laughs> it was essentially for money, is what he said. So he released like the director's cut in maybe like two thousand and three for this box set of all the Alien movies, which a bunch were directed by James Cameron too. So I, th- I think just, so. Just
0: one.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, just one then.
0: Just I- the Alien Three is David Fincher. Okay I don't know who did Alien Resurrection, some guy.
1: So we watched the theatrical cut. It's the cut that uh, <laughs> that he likes the most, so you don't need to watch the, the director's cut for this. Alien 1979 directed by Ridley Scott, this crazy crazy madman who might also be a genius behind the camera. So we get this opening shot of space with some strange geometric lines coming down which will eventually form the word alien and the title of the movie which is now kind of a famous thing i think they've done that for every alien movie or something like that i know they did it for prometheus i think
0: well that wouldn't surprise me if that was the only one though because prometheus well i guess alien covenant too they're just aping on nostalgia prometheus is basically a remake
1: yes it is yeah when i was rewatching this i thought oh man i didn't realize how much of a remake it was actually
0: Yeah, this might be the first time I've seen Alien since I'd seen Prometheus. But I was like noticing a lot of things. It's like, oh, yeah, that's developed in Prometheus. And now I hate that it's developed in Prometheus. (laughs) Uh.
1: Yeah, I was actually a little disappointed. It made me look at Prometheus a little differently after watching this. Anyways, after this opening shot, we get this underbelly shot of this big spaceship. And it's like something almost ripped right out of Star Wars. We're treated to a series of long panning shots, showing us the interior of this big empty ship. And then, before I get into that, we get this descriptive paragraph? I don't know, where it says, like, the ship's name, it's the Nostromo. There's, you know, like, six crew or whatever, or eight crew. They're a mining ship, and they're on their way back to Earth. But then we're treated to all these interior shots of the Nostromo. And this computer comes on, flashes the name, and it starts beeping. And there's this radio transmission that comes through, kind of garbled... And then we cut to the ship turning all the lights on, and we see people waking up in pods, and the first person to come out of their pod is Kane, played by John Hurt, and everybody else is waking up slowly. I really like this set of shots, just because it, it's almost realistic, I guess, on how maybe people would be doing space travel. I really like that.
0: I kind of hated this scene, watching it now, and I had forgotten just how much it kind of takes from 2001 A Space Odyssey. This whole yeah. like opening setup on the ship reminded me so much of how we're introduced to the ship a half hour into 2001.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I totally understand that. Anyways, after everybody wakes up, everybody's kind of congregated around this main table in this main area. and They're all eating and chatting and joking. And there's a cat on board. I think his name is Jones. You know, there, there's like some minor bickering, but it seems more like fun bickering. Two guys want to raise. And that is Parker played by what's his name? Y- Yafet Kodo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Big. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Live and Let Die.
1: And uh, oh, shucks. What's what's the other guy's name? It's Brett. Harry Dean Stanton. Thank you. Yes.
0: The A.K.A. Well, he's kind of in everything, but I kind of remember him best as the dad from Pretty in Pink.
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah. But they're kind of, you know, complaining about wanting more money and, you know. But anyways, the computer, which they call Mother, starts beeping. So Captain Dallas, Tom Skerritt. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. Who
0: who for some reason is top billed in this movie even though I kind of believe every character is basically forgettable in this, but he's definitely the most forgettable one for me. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. guess he was probably the biggest name when this movie came out. Anyways, he's in a bunch of stuff I haven't really seen him. I know he's in Top Gun. I don't remember who he is in Top Gun.
1: But yeah, so Captain Dallas, played by Tom Skerritt, gets up and he goes to see what Mother is beeping about. He walks into this kind of Christmas tree looking room. It looks like you're on the inside of a Christmas tree. You're just surrounded by these white walls that just essentially just have Christmas lights glued into the wall. But it's supposed to be this kind of central computer room for the computer that runs the ship. And while he's there trying to figure out what's going on, the bridge crew realizes, after they've been booting up all these the systems for this uh, ship, that they're nowhere near Earth. That they're not even in the solar system that Earth is in.
0: Yeah, because they were under the impression they were going to be woken up when they're close to home.
1: Yeah. So they were woken up too early. So I assume Captain Dallas kind of calls them all together because the next shot you just see everybody congregated around this table again. And he says, look, we're clearly not home yet. We're only halfway. Mother's woken us up because she's intercepted a transmission of unknown origins. So she woke everybody up to check it out. Parker, he doesn't want to do it because he's, you know, he feels like he's been a grunt too long on this ship.
0: Which one's Parker? That's Harry Dean Stanton.
1: Uh, no, Yef at Coda. But Ash, played by Ian Holm, says it's actually in your contract too. And if you don't, you're going to lose all your money. They fly up to this planet where the signal's coming from. They all get in this exploratory shuttlecraft and land on the planet. But in doing so, they puncture the hull. So they're grounded for like at least 25 hours or something like that. I think there's a bit of a funny line in here. Sigourney Weaver, aka Ripley, who she's not really in the movie that much up until like an hour in.
0: I actually like what they do with her character. I mean, we obviously all know Sigourney Weaver is like the lead role in Alien. Mm-hmm. I like that she's not really the lead role from the beginning. She kind of just becomes the lead because she's the last person alive. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like that. There, It adds like a little bit of realism to this, what's essentially a slasher movie. I mean, because the alien takes people out one by one, eventually takes a while to get there.
1: Yeah, it's 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 this nice slow burn that builds up until Sigourney Weaver's the most important character, other than the alien. Yeah, so they're grounded for 25 hours. The atmosphere of the planet, I like Ash. Uh, Ian Holm describes it as primordial. So they have to wear these spacesuits when they go out because the air is full of nitrogen and carbon crystals. Three of them go out. It's Kane, uh, who I already said is played by John Hurt, Dallas, Captain Dallas, and Lambert, who is played by Veronica Cartwright.
0: Yeah, the little girl from The Birds.
1: Yeah, So while these three go out onto the planet, we get Ripley talking to Parker and Brett. And, you know, they're saying, if you find something out there, we want our share. And there's a great line where Sigourney Weaver goes, oh, don't worry, you'll get what's coming to you. You know, (laughs) which is, I guess, pretty on the nose foreshadowing. She decides to head back to the bridge and her and Ash are watching this. I want to call him a landing party, but everybody's on the planet. So they're watching the three of them. Yeah, and,
0: and what is Ash? Ad- Ash is like the science officer. Is he, he is, the yeah. Mr. Spock here? Yeah, yeah. He's
1: the Mr. Spock. Ian Holm is Mr. Spock.
0: Which is fitting, of course, because Leonard Nimoy, a.k.a. Mr. Spock, did a song called The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, <laughs> he did, yeah. Bilbo Baggins, played by Ian Holm <laughs> in the Lord Oh, the my movies. God. <laughs> Just made that connection.
1: Ash and Ripley are watching this monitor at, at the three trekking around the surface of this planet, and they come upon this giant spaceship that looks like it's crashed and this is the famous kind of like crescent looking ship
0: i mean it's not it wasn't famous until Prometheus. it's just a ship yeah you're right. right. once once prometheus comes out everybody's like oh it's that ship but like it's
1: a ship from the first matter
0: what it looks what (laughs) ship it is it's just a ship you know what i mean (laughs) yeah okay i i gotcha i gotcha
1: so the landing party enter this downed ship just as ripley is decoding this transmission that they that that had originally pulled them away to the planet and she was reading it and she said you know this doesn't really look like an sos signal it looks more like a warning i should go out there and warn the crew and ash says no no no
0: do we ever learn like where this transmission is from like what is it
1: no, we don't learn at all. I mean, we. Because it's,
0: n- it's not sent by the down ship, because they've been down for. <laughs> they've been dead for probably years, if not centuries. Who knows? Oh, e-
1: even a millennia, at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we don't really know. Well, I think. I mean, Prometheus tries to give us answers, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, spoilers. I don't think there was actually a signal, because. Uh, and again, spoilers. At the end of the movie, you realize that Ash is actually a bad guy, he's a robot and he's working for the company what is it Wayland and y- Utani or something Weyland like that Wayland
0: and Jennings
1: <laughs> Shut up <laughs> but he's working for this company and his goal is to find an alien specimen and bring it back They didn't mention anything about a signal in the information that Ash is reading or was given so I think maybe the signal was
0: a fake that makes sense that right there that in and of itself makes sense how is ripley able to find out if it's a warning then and also does it matter if she finds out it's a warning if it's just a fake Well, exactly
1: exactly i have no clue and that's why i think ridley scott is both a genius and absolutely crazy yeah, so Ian Holm, he stops Ripley from going out to warn this crew. He says, look, if it is a warning, they're already out there. What are we going to do now? They're going to realize it's a warning. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> he says, like, if there is a warning, they'll, they'll find out before we can get <laughs> yeah. to that, which is yeah. a very bleak outlook, but probably pretty fair.
1: But going back to the down ship, this is where we get, like, this really cool imagery, I think. I, I've always loved the kind of alien style stuff.
0: The Giger, H.R. Giger? Yeah, Giger. yeah. I think it's Giger.
1: The landing party, this crew that's out there, they walk into this, like, giant room with this giant, dead, mummified alien sitting in what appears to be, like, a captain's chair or a chair of some kind. It's a massage chair. (laughs) Yeah, that's how he died.
0: This is an alien sauna. They're (laughs) nowhere near the bridge. This is just the wreck hall of the ship. (laughs)
1: They start checking out this body and I think it's Dallas, Captain Dallas, climbs up into this chair and onto this giant corpse and he notices that something has burst through the chest and he goes, oh, uh, something's burst out of his chest, that, that must be what killed him. And meanwhile, Kane is about, I don't know, 20 feet away, he's like, oh, check this out, there's a giant hole in the floor. So Dallas and, uh, what's your name again? I don't know, Dallas and the other one, they lower Kane
0: the, the bird lady.
1: Yeah, 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 bird lady. They lower Kane through this hole in the floor into this huge cavernous thing that I'm not even sure if it's part of the ship. They say it's not, but whatever. And he finds a bunch. I, f-
0: I, f- I feel like it has to be this year. Sh- it's this, like the cargo hold, isn't it?
1: that's what i would assume weren't, oh weren't that's right well prometheus
0: cause... aliens transporting these yeah things you're right Yeah, right
1: yeah that would have been the cargo hold then
0: i mean i don't know how much of that is prometheus and how much of that is just interpreting this movie as it is but i feel like that's the implication
1: yeah i'm gonna agree with you on that one because i was i was trying to figure it out because i'm sure you see that same room in like prometheus or at least covenant but anyways doctor who number n- number nine or nine and a half he gets lowered down through the floor and...
0: John Hurt was Doctor Who? Yeah,
1: he was like number nine and a half or something like that. Or no, ten and oh, a half? How
0: embarrassing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know. Poor guy. Then he died.
0: A.K.A. Ollivander from there. You oh, that's right. He's yeah. the guy that sells him the, the wand. A.K.A. The Elephant Man.
1: No, he was the Elephant AKA,
0: Man. A.K.A. Basically, I, I have a... I mean, I actually know the numbers behind this because I have a letterbox account and I can track this. But for a while I was, I was thinking like, John Hurt's probably been in more movies... Than any other actor that that I've seen. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, more movies that I've seen because it, I've never once like gone into a movie being like, "Oh, John Hurt's in this. This is gonna be great." He just shows up. <laughs> he's just like he's just like your character actor yeah. kind of British guy who you know he's a good actor. I like him in Tinker taylor Soldier Spy. Good enough actor. He's great in The Elephant Man.
1: Yeah, he's he, he's somebody that you're like, ah, oh, you know, he'd play a good X or he'd play a good Y, you know? and they show up and you're oh, it's neat. He's in this. Nice.
0: Uh, when you said played a good ex, I'm picturing him in like a rom-com where he's like the jealous ex-boyfriend or something. Like, what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a role for Jim Broadbent, by the
1: way. <laughs> yeah, so once down in this cargo hold of this ship, Kane discovers these hundreds of eggs. And I think I saw trivia where they'd made something like 150 of these, of these alien eggs. But he finds all these alien eggs covered in this mist like he... a little
0: fog thing yeah, yeah which
1: is really neat which patrick i you know I, I was telling you i i own this movie so i watched it on dvd and i went to go on to amazon prime in canada so i rewatched the theatrical cut with all the uh the trivia stuff did you know they borrowed the lasers for the scene from the who who were like making a music video next door
0: oh this was a uh, quadrophenia era that makes sense
1: yeah isn't that, that great? was
0: famously a tour that went awful because they had so many technical people. things that just <laughs> didn't work it's probably because ridley scott screwed with their technology and that's why the <laughs> quadrophenia tour was a disaster <laughs> was he, like, yeah, he just this. borrowed the stuff and then screwed up everything
1: and It was all covered in ky jelly when they got it back because that's what all the alien goop was made out of Cain goes to kind of investigate these eggs and rather ungracefully, he kind of falls off this walkway and starts looking at these eggs. (laughs) He's like, let me get closer and he slips and falls. He starts inspecting this egg, which I really like how they did this. They have like moisture moving from the bottom of the egg to the top and then kind of dripping upwards towards the ceiling, but it looks like mercury or something. They just did that by flipping the camera upside down or the the egg upside down. But John Hurt is is looking at this egg and you can see movement inside of it. And there's this creature just kind of squishing around in there and he gets a little closer to the egg and it pops open. And then with a loud squeal, this creature leaps out of the egg and sticks itself to Kane's visor, which is the famous or infamous facehugger
0: we we need we need a better name for these these guys face hugger chest burst and we need something a little bit less direct
1: yeah you know what they always reminded me of
0: like like you, like you don't call dogs eaters of their own shit you know <laughs> like you give them breed names
1: yeah you don't call them people lickers yeah no face huggers are disgusting though the landing party brings Kane back to the shuttlecraft because they need to get him to the infirmary. This face hugger's kind of melted its way through his glass visor and gone onto his face. But Ripley, who's in charge of the ship while Captain Dallas is gone, is refusing to let them in because of the possibility of infecting the crew. And she, in this movie, she's the only one with any kind of sense for most of the movie.
0: She's the, she's the only one listening to CDC guidelines and wearing a mask and...
1: But Ripley is refusing to let the landing party in, and unfortunately for her, Ash is in front of this door, in front of this airlock door, and he doesn't give a shit to what she's saying. He lets them in anyway. Cut to the infirmary, where Ash and Dallas are taking the helmet off of Kane, and we see, and it's, I don't know how they did it, it, because I'm pretty sure it was a puppet. I mean, well, I know it was a puppet, but I wonder if they had like string attached to it or something, because when they take the helmet off, you see this face hugger attached to Kane's head. But you see the tail immediately kind of tighten around his neck, which I really Mm -hmm. liked that. It's just disgusting and creepy. It looks kind of slimy. They try to get the facehugger off of Kane, but it bleeds acid when you cut into it and it starts melting through the floor. They decide essentially that they're going to have to wait and see what happens. So everybody walks away from Kane to let him and the facehugger just hang out. Sometime later, though, Ash goes back to the infirmary where he calls Dallas because something strange has happened to Kane. And then Dallas calls Ripley to meet him. So, once in the infirmary, the face hugger has gone. It's left Kane's face, and Kane seems to be alive, but there's this great kind of tense scene where they're looking for it, and this tail drops down behind Ripley as she's looking for it, and it drops from the ceiling, but it's dead. So Ripley wants to get rid of this thing, Ash wants to keep it and bring it back to Earth for study, and then we get this other great, this other really great little scene where Ripley confronts Dallas right after this happens and says, look, I don't trust Ash. Have you worked with him before? And Dallas says, no. On the last five times I've been out in space, I was working with this other guy who was the science officer, but the company replaced that guy I was working with with Ash two days before we had to leave. Uh, yeah. And he mission.
0: says before Ash joined us, he used to be in a company with a bunch of dwarves <laughs> and a wizard. <laughs>
1: I was like I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember this. <laughs> Mind you, they're still on the shuttle while all this is happening. But thankfully the shuttle's been repaired by Parker and Brett and they float back up to the ship. Once they get back onto the Nostromo, they're trying to figure out what to do with Kane and this and this dead alien. If they can get it away from Bilbo. But Kane wakes up and he says he feels fine. So they kinda all go back to normal. They're all gonna go back to sleep in their in their pods and wait till they get back to Earth. But they're gonna have a big dinner before they do that. And they're all just sitting around joking and John Hurt's eating his food. And then, you know, this leads into probably the most famous scene from this movie where he's eating. He starts to choke. The crew kind of rushes around to help him, everybody except Ian Holm. And then he starts screaming.
0: I also don't think the cat is much help in this scene.
1: no, (laughs) No, probably not. So he starts screaming and convulsing. And then you realize he's not having like a seizure. He's convulsing and screaming in pain. And then this blood kind of spurts from his chest. And everybody holds him down on top of the table. And then pop! And you know, his rib cage pushes out. And this little alien it becomes emerges. a whack-a-mole board. <laughs> <or
0: whatever.
1: laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate because I wish I could have seen this movie for the first time without knowing anything about it. Because I'm pretty sure
0: I saw Spaceballs before I saw Alien. Oh, the Spaceballs parody of the scene's terrible it is yeah so dumb.
1: john hurt sets up and he's like oh no not again oh
0: yeah that's right it is john hurt that's yeah. kind of fun but the alien just gets up and does a song and dance for no reason like, yeah that's not funny yeah.
1: no but uh yeah so this is the famous chestburster scene and it's also infamous i guess because after this stupid looking baby alien Pops out of his chest. It it very awkwardly takes off across the table. Oh yeah, yeah, that's pushing boxes.
0: (laughs) This movie has incredible alien effects most of the time. A few times when you get full xenomorph guy in a costume, it doesn't look great. Most of the time, it's done really well. Yeah. This is like the one scene I have, or the one shot, or whatever. I have a real problem with. He looks like a Muppet just running away. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, there's, one, there's another scene coming up too. I'll, I, I, you might have a problem with this one too. I don't know, but uh, I'll mention it when it comes up. But you're right. It looks like this puppet is like tied to a string, and they're just like ripping it across the table, and it's like knocking. It reminds of me of way.
0: those things. I, I don't remember what they're called, but those like rabbits that they have on the inside of like a yeah. dog <laughs> racetrack yeah. that they just <laughs> zoom ahead. They just, Uh, (laughs) and this is the dogs all chase after
1: (laughs) (laughs) it. Yeah, it's exactly what it's like.
0: So this thing escapes
1: into the ship, and the remaining crew decide to, to divide themselves into two teams to scour the ship for this alien thing. So Ripley is with Parker and Brett, I think, and Dallas is with Ash and Lambert, and they have all been given, like, these cattle, like, these electric cattle prods, and they've also been given this device, I'm not, it looks like a leaf blower, which I'm sure it is in real life, but ash apparently made these things these devices which are supposed to sense micro pressure changes in the air so you can find it on the ship using this device the ripley and her team are led to a locker where they think this alien is but it's just the cat jones and they're like oh it's just a cat that's crazy
0: yeah and um ripley and whoever still want to catch it but harry dean stanton lets it go not yeah. realizing that they need this cat otherwise it's they're gonna, gonna fall screw for it up their sensors yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so Harry Dean Stanton, a.k.a. Brett, has to go off looking for, for Jones, the cat, and uh, uh, he the finds... Goes
0: on forever. It
1: does, yeah. It's like a 10-minute scene.
0: He, like, wanders into the... wherever in this set. It's, like, very moist, and he's, like, sweating. There's, like, yeah. water dripping. It goes. He's, on like, hanging so out so under long. the shower. And the camera's so tight on him, you know what's happening. Yeah. You know he's gonna get killed the second the yeah. camera changes perspective, and it's just focusing on his face. Yeah, but exactly. it still takes so long.
1: I know. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like a 10, 15 minute scene, which I mean, come on, Ridley Scott. I mean, know, I mean it, I'm of. sure
0: it's not 10 minutes even, but it it's no, but it certainly feels that.
1: <laughs> Brett gets killed uh, looking for the cat, which he does find. But the alien now giant black, scary alien that everybody knows drops down from What's the ceiling scary about
0: them. black beings. Oh,
1: my God. Did I say What's that? What's wrong with you? Yeah, the, it it comes down and it opens its mouth, which is covered in KY lube. <laughs> a secondary mouth comes out and shoots out and like stabs him yeah, in the in the a chest or something.
0: Second Pez dispenser mouth kind of thing. <laughs> That's exactly. I don't it. know why yeah. I think of Pez dispensers when I see that thing just shoot out there. <laughs> There's something very like. I mean, this is cool stuff, and I love when you see like the lips like kind of snarling and stuff like or curling back. But when that second mouth comes out, it always looks very like. Someone just pressed a button and it just sticks out. It doesn't feel like yeah natural, organic movement to me. I mean, it's a very small complaint. It's it's a nitpick, honestly, but I I do think it's kind of funny.
1: I mean, but what's the difference though between doing that or just like using its tail to stab somebody or or just reaching out and grabbing them and eating them? I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the tiny well. One. I
0: that's that's the big thing with what the hell is this alien doing? <laughs> just killing people for fun? Yeah. Or, I mean, you could say like, oh, it's, it's in this environment. It's scared. Sure. But it's not like it's, I mean, th- that's, that's the weird thing about, about the xenomorph, right? It's, it's like, if it has to be created through mixing with humans, because otherwise, and we learn in the series, if it's mixed with a different animal, it's slightly different. Yeah. I think in Alien 3 or maybe 4, you get like a dog alien yeah, or yeah. dog xenomorph. Well, then it has no native habitat, so you can't. You, I don't know if you can really say it's it's killing out of evolutionary necessity or or, or uh, out of defense. It's just like I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's I don't just get a it. It's, yeah, uh, I, I have as much as I love the Xenomorph, the look of it. You know, it's cool and it, it is strange, just how overly complicated it is just to birth one of these things. This alien is a subject of crossbreeding. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, in order for it to exist, it you first need to hatch an alien that's only purpose is to breed and then die. And it's just like, it's really complicated just to get here.
1: Yeah, which, funny, uh. funny enough, that's the only, like the facehugger is the only part of the alien creation process that I like. And that's because it's such a disgusting, terrifying thing, and what it does is so gross and creepy. But also, it's like that perfect. Which I think they also mentioned in the movie. It's got that perfect evolutionary trait where its blood is acid, so you can't even cut it off without killing. Yeah, the ghost. that's true. But you know?
0: but I I they I think it's there's like one line in this movie, but it, this is like a huge topic of. This is all Michael Fassbender talks about eventually in the series. <laughs> but like the whole thing about the Xenomorph being a perfect organism. Mm-hmm. It's like, is it it <laughs> an egg hatches? <laughs> have an alien die in order to get to this thing (laughs) it's like it's so difficult just to create this organism i don't know if you can really say it's perfect
1: well also in the series doesn't it turn out that he created the alien as we know it isn't that what i mean who that
0: whatever i yeah i don't know Uh, peter o'toole created the
1: xenomorph (laughs) yeah the alien drags brett's body away as he's screaming and stuff we don't really get to see the rest of that takedown but we do get Parker telling... Which
0: we me, saw 10 minutes of, of the buildup to it. Can't we at least... Well, I know, yeah, <laughs> I know. Can we at least see them?
1: <laughs> I know. We don't really get any good takedowns, really. But anyway, Yeah, I guess,
0: I guess so. I guess, yeah.
1: Well, there's one coming up... Anyways, I'll, I'll mention it later because I, I did a bit of digging into this. Anyway, the alien escapes through the air ducts and Parker's telling the crew, oh, you know, this thing isn't a small little alien anymore. We didn't see it, but it must be big because it dragged the whole body away. And it seems to be hiding in the air ducts. Dallas comes up with a plan to force it into an airlock by pushing through the air vents and closing all these vents behind him and then like secondary doors so it can't escape and then it'll eventually just kind of come into this airlock room where they can suck it out into space. So he goes into the air vents with a flamethrower to force it in that direction and Lambert and Parker uh, they're outside of the vents tracking the alien with Ash's leaf blower and they're staying in radio contact with him but ultimately the plan fails as the alien sort of hides or something and then scurries up to dallas in this tight little vent and kills him taking his body away with him
0: which this it looks like he's just giving him a hug
1: that's though. exactly yeah. that's what i was gonna say the, one <laughs> he the just kind of because we
0: just get the, the get the quick shot and it's it's, it's kind of cheesy he just but, sticks but his hands it's, out, it's, like, it's probably it's probably the one moment where the alien costume doesn't look very good where it, it truly feels like a person in the costume <laughs>
1: yeah I think the alien costume only looks good when lights are flashing, when there's mist and when it's like behind he's you
0: when he's coming down from the yeah. ceiling or whatever I mean you can shoot this this costume in in a lot of ways to make it look pretty good but just this isn't one of them
1: Yeah when, when it's not in focus or when there's stuff that doesn't let you focus on the individual parts of the costume, it looks great but a quick shot of it sticking its arms out for a hug does not make it look scary. With the death of Captain Dallas, Ripley is now the leader. She's the first in command. So this is really when Ripley starts to come alive as a character. This is like an hour and a bit in. She's shaping up to be the main character. But her idea is to continue Dallas's plan to force the alien into an airlock. But Lambert wants to abandon ship and take this shuttlecraft. But Ripley makes the point it's not going to take four people. So they split off into pairs. Ripley tells Parker to go get more fuel for the flamethrower and lambert is going to go with him and ripley now has access to mother which apparently she didn't before even though she was like second in command anyways
0: oh i can relate to not having access to my mother <laughs> <laughs> but
1: ripley goes in to do this
0: to the christmas yeah, tree yeah, to, room.
1: To, to the inside out christmas tree room
0: this is like the only set that looks pretty dated everything else looks pretty good on the ship
1: yeah Oh, shit what's the name of that other movie remember um is it forbidden no someone with the alien on the ship too and it's a lot like alien but there's just like it, lots of sex the involved
0: beyond space no oh, life no
1: i don't remember remember and all the hallways are made out of like uh styrofoam food containers. galaxy
0: of terror no. forbidden world maybe maybe it's forbidden world galaxy of terror and forbidden world i get mixed up i think there was shot on the same roger corman sets
1: what was What was the one in Inse- no inseminate
0: oh and seminole, <laughs> seminole? i don't was remember anything about that movie other than the poster
1: either way i know there's another movie on our list that is a lot like alien i remember i saw there's it, but... a lot
0: of movies a lot like alien <laughs> yeah. as we saw with it the terror from beyond space alien wasn't particularly original like a no. lot of movies had done this kind of thing before mm-hmm. but also because this movie was so friggin' popular it made like a hundred million back in 79 when a hundred million was a lot of money for a movie when, when like, that was of Star course Wars going to get a lot of ripoffs.
1: <laughs> yeah. In Reverse Christmas Tree Room, she's trying to uh, ask mother questions, because apparently you can do that. You can type questions into this computer.
0: Why weren't you at answering. my piano recital, mother? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she asks what they should do about the alien. And it's kind of giving these like responses like, there's not enough data yet. I don't know. And she gets the response saying that anything relating to the life form is for the science officer's eyes only. So Ripley performs his command override to find out what Ash has been ordered to do, because he's a science officer, as we pointed out. And I love the text that comes up here from Mother. It says, Nostromo rerouted to new coordinates. Investigate life form. Gather specimen. Priority one. Ensure return of organism for analysis. All other considerations secondary. Crew expendable. And Ripley kind of realizes that she was right to not trust Ash, that a lot of this is his fault. This is why he hasn't really been helping. And He's wise. been
0: corrupted by the One Ring.
1: <laughs> oh, poor Bilbo. As as she's kind of going over this in her mind, Ash appears right next to her. He says something along the lines of, you know, there's an explanation for all of this. And Ripley throws him against the wall in anger and leaves. But then Ash traps her by closing all of the doors. But the weird thing here is that he starts almost sweating. And I don't know if it's because he was thrown up against the wall, but he starts leaking something down his face and it looks like milk. Yeah, yeah. And he grabs Ripley and just immediately kind of has this superhuman strength, which we've never seen before. And he just throws her up against a couple walls, knocking her out. And then he starts, I don't understand. He starts trying to choke her with a magazine that he's rolled up, which is kind of disturbing. Yeah, that's,
0: that's such a weird prop to be using for, for that moment. <laughs> he's just like sticking the magazine down her mouth. And it's like, I suppose that would work if you're I strong enough so. to choke someone with it. But like, can we, I don't know. It's just strange.
1: Yeah. So Bilbo's trying to kill somebody with a magazine and Parker and Lambert then show up from getting their fuel and they try to rip Ash off of Ripley. (laughs) Rip Ash off of Ripley. And then when that doesn't really work because Ash is so friggin' strong, Parker grabs this, I think it's a fire extinguisher or like a fuel canister and he just starts beating him over the back of the head with it. But one hit and (laughs) Ash starts spitting out like this milky substance and kind of rolling around the room. And then Parker hits him a few more times until his head just kind of breaks off, revealing that Ash is a robot. He has all these wires and tubes coming out of his neck. Like, ah, I really like the effects here, and it's kind of disturbing because then this headless Ash continues to attack Parker until Lambert stabs him, I think, in the back with one of these cattle prods, I guess short-circuiting him.
0: The effects here are great. This even employs one of my favorite special effects of all time of, we want a decapitated head to speak, so, so, the actor is just going to sit down yeah. under a table. <laughs> and it actually, I mean, I laugh because it, that effect, it's so cheap. It's been done in a ton of stuff. It looks awful in Reanimator, but I love it because Reanimator is great. It actually looks pretty good here. Oh, yeah. This is probably the best I've seen of that effect. Yeah,
1: you know, I, uh, I was watching this interview with Ian Holm, and he said that the makeup stuff that they used for, for all the guts kind of coming out of Ash's neck <laughs> stunk because it was like milk or it might have been like paint or something cheap caviar cooked spaghetti and onion rings so disgusting <laughs> it would make me gag on set i wouldn't be able to act good for them i guess
0: yeah, special effects gore makeup often is very messy i know and like i think it was day of the dead tom savini and company they had to get like all these like pig and cow innards to be organs that zombies are eating and someone fucked up and forgot to leave them in the fridge overnight so Uh, they were like spoiled uh, and disgusting (laughs) and that movie uses more fake guts probably than any movie out uh, there so so it could be worse Bilbo could be worse
1: they also used uh i think cow heart and lungs for the egg that the that the facehugger jumps out okay
0: cow cow heart is a very big thing in effect so that doesn't surprise me yeah Uh, yeah, lung i can kind of picture a lung there too
1: it's all just disgusting. I don't know, I couldn't work on that set. <laughs> I
0: couldn't work on that set because Ridley Scott's on that set. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the smell.
1: <laughs> After they knock out Ash and remove his head, I I think it's Parker's working on him and they're trying to I guess reanimate. Or restart yeah they have to they have to
0: do a few things with some of his cords to like reconnect them before they can get him talking yeah
1: yeah and then exactly and then this is that great shot you're talking about where the makeup just looks great and the whole thing looks great shit what's his name bilbo is semi brought back to life ripley's asking him you know why did the company want us to bring an alien back like you know essentially what's going on here is, is what she's asking bilbo's kind of being an asshole he's like you read it you know what it says and she goes yeah but you know why Just a fair question. Yeah, and I I don't think there's really an answer, right? Because then Ash starts going into this. um... We
0: we learn a lot more in Aliens, and this all makes a bit more sense as the series goes on. Yeah. And then it makes less sense when we get to (laughs) Boreas. Gotta love Ridley Scott. (laughs) Forget about that.
1: But yeah, th- th- there's really no answer here. Ash just kind of talks about how perfect of a killing machine the alien is, and how it's this uh, this product of like perfect evolution. He admires it in its entirety. And which then, I
0: again, this is a brand new species. How's it? Even, <laughs> where's the evolution? <laughs> this is the first <laughs> of its kind.
1: Which then again, too, how would we know? What like how did they know that there was life out there? How did that company? Know that well, there that's was life the thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you really break it down, yeah. So a xenomorphs technically didn't or this version of the xenomorph excuse me technically didn't exist (laughs) until it mixed with humans yeah there was uh i think they're called engineers in prometheus there's yeah obviously a xenomorph on that downed ship because the guy's chest burst so there was a giant engineer xenomorph somewhere somewhere out there but yeah i mean this specific thing hasn't ever existed how does wayland jennings know about this (laughs) none of that really makes sense i don't know i mean it, it's it's just a movie and you know we're talking about the sequels this is the movie that's you know some some of it makes more sense as the series goes on some of it makes less sense but like just as a movie i mean i'm okay with things like this yeah you know I if agree. you really think about it, it doesn't quite make sense but you know whatever
1: i'm willing to suspend my disbelief and my and my questions and well now i guess that ripley is in charge like for sure because i guess the only person that was fighting her on her position of power was ash who's now just a head on a table oh i forgot to mention ash says they have no chance in hell of killing the alien or getting back to earth and surviving
0: which he doesn't really know because he doesn't really know anything about this
1: alien whatever so ripley comes up with a new plan she goes you know what fuck it let's just blow this ship up and try to make it to an escape pod she heads to the pod to prep it while Parker and Lambert go to gather supplies. Like, I think Ripley says, go get coolant. They go to get coolant. And as Ripley is prepping the, the escape pod, she hears Jones meowing somewhere. So she goes in search of him. And on finding him, she hears the alien attacking Parker and Lambert over the radio, which we get a cool shot in the scene. Cause I'm, I'm kind of skipping around a bit. But they're collecting this coolant, and I think there's like a spacesuit hanging from the ceiling. It's creating this shadow on Lambert. And then out of this spacesuit shadow comes the shadow of the Xenomorph. It starts moving towards Lambert, but attacks Parker and kills him and kills Lambert. But on hearing this, Ripley runs over to them, and their screams fall silent, and she finds their bodies just dripping with blood. Terrified, she runs to the bridge where she starts the self-destruct countdown, which gives her 10 minutes to get off the ship. And I guess on her and way back... And also
0: like nine minutes before she can cancel the self-destruct or something?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's in the last five minutes you can cancel the self-destruct. Oh,
0: maybe the five, okay. Yeah,
1: so she starts running back to the escape pod and then runs into the alien. And she drops Jones in his crate in front of it. And then she runs back to the bridge for some reason to reset the cooling system.
0: Well, and then she actually tries canceling the self-destruct also.
1: Exactly, yeah. Which, which, because she, because she tried to cancel it. Because...
0: Probably because she doesn't think she'll have time to make it to the pod because the alien's there, I guess. Yeah, I guess so.
1: Yeah, because when she aborts the the self-destruct, she pushes, like, these cooling tubes back in. And she starts yelling at Mother, who's not going to abort it? And she goes, I've put the cooling rods back or something. And she's like, you bitch! And she picks up a stool and, like, whips it at this computer monitor. So now she's only got five minutes to get off the ship before it explodes. So she runs back to the escape pod with flamethrower in hand, and she stops to grab Jones. And she makes it to the pod just in time for her to jet away and escape the blast wave, which kills the alien. But Patrick, wait, wait, Patrick, hold the phone. There's 15 minutes left of this movie. So clearly, yeah, no the alien shit, was we've not seen gilled. this happen
0: in like <laughs> a thousand movies. This exact thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she gets on this escape pod, and she's getting ready to go into stasis, and she's, you know, like, punching stuff into the computer or whatever, and uh, she's getting undressed into some skimpy little undies, and she sees something move, and it's, <laughs> it's the alien. It's, like, hiding or keeping itself warm or something in yeah, and amongst just, all these pipes. He's just hanging
0: out, I think.
1: Yeah, he's just chilling.
0: I think it was, like, nesting. Like, it found a nice That's place what it to kind of, like. like, rest.
1: So Ripley, terrified, and she runs into this spacesuit closet. And locks herself in it. And she slowly and quietly starts slipping into this spacesuit. I couldn't hear what she was saying, but she was like murmuring stuff the whole time. And then she leaves the I closet. I think she was
0: saying, oh God, I'm going to have to make like three or four more of these things,
1: aren't I? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she leaves this closet and starts like, like releasing steam or coolant or something out of these pipes, which kind of forces the alien to leave its hidey hole. And now that it's standing in the room, she hits a button and ejects it into space, which she then torches it with the engines and it shoots off into space.
0: I laughed at this scene. I did okay. too. I'll when on, you see him so just kinda good. hanging from the outside, this is this is just kinda of funny. It's like a little bottle. It just it just looks <laughs> yeah. funny to me.
1: I don't like in this scene where he's hanging from, or the, the xenomorph is hanging from the ship, and then it cl- it starts climbing up like this engine tube or whatever, this exhaust pipe, and you could imagine the xenomorph being like, "Oh, thank God, I'm safe here," and then she just like fires the rockets, and it just comes shooting out the back, <laughs> like a potato stuck in an exhaust. Also, pipe. I,
0: I think we need to talk a bit about how Sigourney Weaver has killed a baby. This thing's like two days old, right?
1: Yeah, 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 <laughs> infanticide. This there you go,
0: very young child.
1: She's calling it a bitch and stuff, you know, rude. Does she call it a bitch in this one? I I think so. I don't know. Maybe somebody else calls it a bitch either way. But we end with Ripley making an officer's log, like a Star Trek-esque officer's log. I think she says a third officer. Jerry Goldsmith
0: composer, by the way. She states that everybody
1: is dead. Everybody's dead. Everybody's gone. The cargo's blown up with the ship. And she says, she states that she's going into stasis and that she'll hopefully be at the frontier of our solar system in six weeks. And then she lays down in the pod, and that's the end. That is Alien. So Patrick, what'd you think?
0: They should have killed the cat. I mean, that's my first thought here. (laughs) I mean, neither you nor I are big cat people. I have the excuse of I've never really been around cats a whole lot. Maybe if I were, I would like them more. Personally, (laughs) I haven't seen a whole lot to like, but that's just me. At any rate, (laughs) this cat specifically sucks. He's a dick. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I mean, he just like watches when Harry Dean Stanton, <laughs> like, like the cat sees the xenomorph approaching Harry Dean Stanton, and is just like standing there just like, <laughs> like, maybe if you like ran, you could get him to move. But no, I mean, no one wants to see a cat or like a dog, any kind of like cutesy little animal die in a movie. Sometimes mm-hmm. they kind of have to with the plot, and sometimes it works. But generally, you don't want to see an animal like that die. But like, honestly, the cat cat's got some uh blood on its paws here so i I wouldn't and here's the thing you don't even need to kill the cat you just have to have sigourney weaver not go save it because because by saving the cat (laughs) she she uh is is away from her friends when they get killed and maybe she could have saved them yeah yeah you're right also just in general like we see the cat pretty early in the movie. And then it, I swear to god it just disappears completely. No one acknowledges it until <laughs> until until they have that fake out jump scare when it jumps at them when they when they think they're catching the alien. And yeah. It's like, "What?" Like, what like the <laughs> We could have weaved the we could have integrated the cat a little better, I think. I agree. Other than the cat, I mean, I I like this movie. I I don't love it. I don't look A lot of people just love this movie. think it's a masterpiece. I don't really see it as that. I think it's a good movie. I find it pretty dry i mean the movie is very slow which isn't generally or it's not always a bad thing but i want like something more out of my characters as much as i like that like ripley I like the idea that she's, she's not really, like, the main character. She just kind of becomes the main character because everyone else dies. I like that. It's refreshing when you don't have, like, a very clear protagonist from the get-go. But at the same time, we don't actually get that much from her character or really anybody else's other than the robot.
1: I mean, Ash is definitely the most interesting character, I think, mainly because there's there's a level of mystery there and you don't know exactly who he is, what he is, what's going on, why he turns
0: um, invisible when he puts this gold ring on.
1: <laughs> yeah, everybody else really is kind of expendable, like Ash's mission briefing says.
0: Yeah, I um, mean, I like the performances and this is a like a rare movie where obviously it's a small cast. I'm, like, super familiar with all of these actors, really with the exception of Tom Skerritt. But like, again, you know, I've, I've never seen, heard of him. <laughs> I've seen Yafet Koto in a bunch of stuff. He's in Across 110th Street. Mm-hmm. I've I really only seen Veronica Cartwright in, um, the birds. in The Birds. I guess she might be in a Twilight Zone episode, too, back when she was a kid actor. She looks like she was. But Harry Dean Stanton's awesome. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Ian Holm is great in... The Kenneth Branagh Shakespeare films he's well <laughs> not just Shakespeare he's in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein but he's in he's one of the like captains in in the trenches in in Henry V he's awesome in that and then obviously Scorning Weaver is very good I, I think actually my favorite one my favorite performance in this movie might be Veronica Cartwright actually she doesn't have that much to do, but she has like really super expressive eyes. She, she's, she, to me, I believe the terror in her face more than I believe it in other characters, I guess.
1: I read this thing where people, I think the Ripley characters are going to be played by Veronica Cartwright or Sigourney Weaver. And they did screen tests because originally they had both tested for each other's roles and audiences apparently thought that Sigourney Weaver was a stronger character and that, that she reminded them of Jane Fonda, and they, yeah, I don't so Ripley Scott picked <laughs> her. Apparently,
0: also uh, quite famously, this the script originally was written with gender neutral characters. It's why mm-hmm. actually we don't even get Ripley's first name. Mm-hmm. So in theory, Ripley could have been Tom Skerritt, which that's that's pretty neat. That like seems oddly progressive for a movie in the seventies, but it's it it seems kind of like Star Trek utopian future kind of thing because this is you yeah. know the distant future like you know people on the ship or they're all kind of equal i mean there is a hierarchy in terms of command of course i don't know i kind of like that aspect
1: it's funny that you bring up this kind of utopian future because let's talk about ridley scott for a second lots of ideas of his were eventually removed from this movie but is he, name, he dead yet did he die I don't n- no I think he's still oh, no no
0: no uh, Tony Scott did uh he's, he's his brother he directed Top Gun starring in some role Tom Scarrett
1: <laughs> hold on how old is Ridley Scott that Ridley Scott
0: he's he's got to be old he's probably Sir Ridley Scott too. he's
1: 83 yeah he, he is Sir Ridley prick but uh, no I'm kidding he's, he's an all right guy I guess but let's talk about some <laughs> of his ideas because we, we oh, talk no. about utopian society here. It was either him or one of the people working on this that had the idea that people should just be banging all the time and that there should be like lots of sex in this movie.
0: That might have, okay, so this, this, and I'm going to screw up the names here because I know there's a couple of writers here and the guy that wrote the first draft of this script, or maybe even more than one draft, but the guy who came up with this story basically just wrote it to be complete schlock yeah and and so maybe that's where the banging comes in because like this is basically originally when it was written it was basically written to be like a roger corman b movie but then rewrites came in and i think dan o'bannon was the one that stepped in and rewrote it i could be screwing that up maybe he was the original writer i don't think so though
1: yeah i'm trying to think i took a note on it somewhere i just can't find it at the moment but i and think walter Dan hill had ben...
0: something to do with this movie i don't know if he was just a producer or a writer but walter hill uh he got to start with john carpenter they john carpenter's first ever movie walter hill worked on and he also was one of many big hollywood producers to start the series tales from the crypt along with like robert zemeckis and richard donner i'm forgetting the most notable thing about walter hill excuse me he directed the warriors which was came oh. out the same year as this.
1: Oh, okay. Going back to this sex thing, I think it was maybe Dan O'Bannon's idea. Ridley Scott liked it, and they were just going to have like lots of banging in the movie. But then after like talking to the actors, they were kind of like, uh, you know, not only are we not really super comfortable with this, but we also don't know where it would fit into the movie.
0: I'm sure at some point it came up that there were two women and four men also.
1: Yeah, and also- well, <laughs> And a <apparently>, robot. <laughs> Ridley Scott was still thinking about this idea Because I'm pretty sure it's in either The end of Prometheus Yeah, it's in the end of Prometheus Oh no,
0: (laughs) Alien Covenant They're they're fucking in the shower Yeah,
1: that's it So Ridley Scott, like fucking like 40 years later
0: was that, was that like, a scene written for Alien? Because that's I don't know the, if was, that's the uh, worst scene in the entire series, probably. I know,
1: I know. I don't know if it was actually written for Alien, but that scene came out of him still thinking about people supposed to be banging all the time when they're on a spaceship um, with nothing else to do. So there's there's Ridley Scott kind of crazy number one. Ridley Scott kind of crazy number two doesn't really have anything to deal to to, to do with this utopian society. But I got this fun general trivia. That giant dead body in the down ship on the planet, which they call the Space Jockey. It was designed and painted by, as you pointed out, H.R. What's his name? Geiger? Giger? Geiger?
0: No, Geiger, yeah. I think. Geiger. But let's go with Geiger. It sounds better.
1: Th- this fella, he was disappointed, apparently, that he couldn't put any finishing touches on it because by the time filming commenced, <laughs> by the time filming came for this scene, he just didn't have any time and it was either destroyed right after or partially destroyed before they filmed it by a lit cigarette that was left on the sculpture and i can only assume that that was ridley scott uh by accident
0: (laughs) and (laughs) ridley scott burnt down notre dame cathedral confirmed
1: (laughs) yeah there was the this conceptual artist who's worked on the movie ron cobb and when ridley scott had apparently this isn't about ridley scott being crazy it's just a neat piece of trivia 20th Century Fox almost didn't allow this space jockey thing to be in the movie because apparently at the time props for movies like this weren't like these huge ginormous things. They weren't so large scale I guess and it would only be used for one scene but this conceptual artist Ron Cobb convinced 20th Century Fox to leave the scene in the movie because it would show the audience that this wasn't just some low-budget B movie. So back to Ridley Scott being crazy. Crazy with Blade Runner and crazy with that unicorn shit. This movie at the end, you know when Ridley is in, uh, or sorry, Ridley, when Ripley is in the spacesuit closet in that uh, escape pod and she's like putting the suit on? Yeah. <laughs> Originally, Ridley Scott wanted the scene to be that the alien comes out of its little hidey hole and goes over to the window and starts looking through the window at Ridley's body, or damn it, at Ripley's body. And then the alien was going to start touching itself.
0: No, and it's I don't this believe weird... this. Yeah, no,
1: seriously. And it's supposed to be this weird sexual tension no. oh, that the alien no. was like comparing its body to Ripley's body. But then uh, one of the writers jumped in and was like, Ridley, we can't, we can't do this." He's like, "Okay, you e- right.
0: even for Sigourney Weaver's <laughs> sake, like, no actress deserves that."
1: I know. And, and I the know. poor guy, think... <laughs>
0: whoever whoever he is, whatever his name is, the poor guy in the xenomorph suit doesn't sure as hell doesn't deserve that.
1: <laughs> I know. I know but yeah i just think ridley scott is fucking nuts and it also doesn't help that people carry this weird sexually suggestive stuff through when they talk about alien like i'm reading i was reading a bunch of stuff earlier how people are comparing the facehuggers attack on kane to like male rape and and the chest buster scene to a form of violent birth and that the alien is this phallic looking thing with its yeah the, the, the chest buster is definitely you
0: know? phallic i don't know about the xenomorph so much but the chest for sure
1: yes it does look like a penis with a mouth it's supposed to be a form of violent birth and it's sp- the whole chest bursting stuff face hugger egg laying thing. xenomorph are supposed to make men uncomfortable because the xenomorph is apparently supposed to be like androgynous it looks feminine but also masculine with its giant penis head
0: how many animals do you like look bullshit. at and be like wow <laughs> that is a feminine animal or that is a, like because that's what the xenomorph is i don't look at an ant wow, and that, be like oh, that that that's looks male. like a big penis yeah i mean i don't know <laughs> i mean i'm more uncomfortable just with not with the i mean the chestburster stuff's great let's be honest but like i more what's more uncomfortable to me is just ridley scott in general i actually had a good friend in high school who uh, swore she never wanted to get pregnant specifically because of this movie and the chestburster scene and it's like okay oh my god (laughs) uh, hopefully she doesn't still carry that with her but maybe she does i don't know to my knowledge she has not given birth (laughs) you should ask her if she's still afraid (laughs) no we're not talking anymore thank you it's a sore subject oh no (laughs) because i made her read ridley scott interviews with me once
1: (laughs) (laughs) and before i because i I don't really have anything else to say about alien other than i enjoy the movie i enjoy the aesthetics i don't mind i I, I
0: have a, a complaint we didn't cover that whole last like 20 minutes half hour or so on the ship before we're in the escape pod Oh my God, they need like a warning for like epileptics. Like, I (laughs) was, I felt dizzy watching that. And again, this is the first time I'd seen it in a while, but there's so much smoke, there's flashing lights. It's just, it was, it it actually kind of hurt me to watch that. I, I got a bit of a headache, but I mean, it's tense. Like, I can't deny that, but. Yeah. I don't know yeah so was a headache
1: no, I agree with you I already had a headache watching it and then I got to that scene and I was like I gotta walk away from it <laughs> it sounds like
0: we really enjoyed alien
1: yeah I mean I, I really don't have anything else to say about it other than I think it's a great movie I really enjoy it and again I enjoy the aesthetics and whatnot
0: yeah I mean I um, like it if I went know. the entire rest of my life and I never see the original alien again yeah I don't think I don't think I would regret it yeah I, I wouldn't like we're having a movie night and someone's like hey let's watch alien I, I'm not leaving. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean yeah. that's I would have been okay I would have felt better about the really slow pacing and the boring ass build up if we got more out of the characters because they're mm. they're written okay. to be realistic and just you know going about their day-to-day lives but we don't actually learn a whole lot about them or their relationships and I like I think I want more movie out of the script you know the script is a little, gotcha. like kind of those characters are almost written to be like, you know, kind of documentary like and I mean, that works for a lot of people. I get it. But in a movie like this, I want something a little bit more entertaining, I guess.
1: Don't you also think that that's what led to the success of Alien that it was kind of realistic or it seemed realistic to audiences? You know, you're on like this gritty space, like this gritty grungy spaceship floating through space, and you just had like a bunch of real people. Yeah, but out, who, complaining who gives a shit why
0: it's successful or not? We're talking about if it's good or, or entertaining or not. Like, <laughs> okay, weird right. stuff is successful. Avatar is successful. If the that's Fast all you and have... the Furious movies are successful, and Ugh, and those are successful because of their realism. <laughs> and I, was oh, watching a, I was watching a Fast and the Furious movie. Well, I think it was, like, one of the last ones, like, seven or eight. My reaction was, boy, Dale Earnhardt was a pussy to go out like that and just, like, a normal <laughs> car wreck. Like, Vin Diesel... <laughs> <laughs> flies cars through buildings and he, in, in this particular movie he was on multiple cars he was in driving multiple cars that were on fire within this, this one movie i'm like <laughs> like dale earnhardt man <laughs> come on
1: yeah you know who else went out like a pussy fucking paul james Walker. dean <laughs> princess <laughs> Diana. yeah let's just go through the list poor
0: princess die anyway, i no, want to leave princes- this- princess die sucks It's like the most overrated person ever. She's all like, oh, I'm the people's queen. You know, let's ignore the fact that she's (laughs) from a richer family than the queen is, you know? Yeah. And then also like...
1: With about about 500 heads of ultra rare black uh, deer, by the way.
0: Yeah, Uh, I mean, she she went to the most elite public school in the country. And for those listening, I mean, I'm going to cut this anyways, but for those listening (laughs) that... Say like, oh, public school, that's like, you don't have money, to, have to have money to do that. No, in the United Kingdom, it's reverse. Public school is is what in the U.S. we would call a private school. And uh, no, she sucks. She's all like, oh, you know, I, um, I want my privacy, uh, you know, I don't want to. But then she's all always out talking to the media about like her stupid causes. And <laughs> no, Princess Di <laughs> sucked.
1: So after he just shat all over Princess Di, which is fine, I don't give a shit. But this is a quote from Obannon when, when asked about the sexual imagery in Alien. Ready? Obannon himself later described the sexual imagery in Alien as overt and intentional. Wait,
0: why does the quote from Obannon? Well, t- no, hold start on, hold on, I'm getting, getting to it. I'm getting to,
1: I'm getting to it. One thing that people are all disturbed about is sex. I said that's how I'm going to attack the audience. I'm going to attack them sexually, and I'm not going to go after the woman in, <laughs> sorry, the women in the audience. I'm going to attack the men. I'm going to put in every image I can think of to make the men in the audience cross their legs. Homosexual oral rape, birth, the thing lays its eggs down your throat, the whole number.
0: Well noted, of course, that that was the thought process for the writing of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's uh, Revenge, but yeah, I got nothing. I'm done with this movie. I'm sick of it. (laughs) Yeah, let's move on. GI Blues, starring Elvis Aaron Presley, available on Prime uh jim is this your first elvis movie i have a feeling it's probably not
1: no i think i've seen all of them
0: oh jesus so have i I thought i was the only one all right so (laughs) we so we are massive elvis fans i mean i knew i was and i knew you like liked elvis but you're a you're a tom t hall guy more you're more country
1: i think i've seen all the elvis movies about 15 years ago because my dad was super into them for a while okay gi blues is the first one i've seen in like the last 15 years Okay. But I have seen all of them. I don't remember any of them except for maybe was it Blue Hawaii? Oh yeah. Blue it? Hawaii. That that's I mean, I yeah. don't
0: remember much about Blue Hawaii other than that's uh can't help falling in love is in that one. You know, the maybe mm-hmm. the best song ever written, so gets props for that. But yeah. GI Blues is I would call this kind of a middle of the road Elvis musical. Maybe maybe a little lower tier. It's it'd be a little bit less than average, but I don't think it's a bad movie. But here's the thing it's an Elvis movie. Most people listening probably don't care about Elvis movies or have never seen one. If you're at all interested, check it out. And I will recommend other better Elvis movies through the course of this. But we're not going to focus so much on the plot here this time around. Mostly because it's an Elvis movie. Who cares about the plot, you know? There are, there are yeah. two plots in Elvis movies, basically. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's got his Western movies that are kind of their own thing because they're not even musicals. He had two of those. I guess three, if you count "Love Me Tender," which he's not the star of. You know, you've got two Elvis plots, or Elvis plays two different characters. Elvis plays young Southern man trying to make it big as a musician,
1: mm-hmm. or a
0: boxer. So it's usually a musician. It's a boxer in one movie, <laughs> uh, or it's a, it's you know it's it's not a, it's not always a musician. Sometimes it's just, it's just a race car driver, I guess, too. But usually a musician. <laughs> the other Elvis character or Elvis plot. I, this is more a plot than a character is daddy wants to get laid i mean that's and and here here's the thing this is kind of both this movie is sort of yeah. combines both of those it's more romantic than how i described it right there <laughs> although there are some jokes about that kind of thing but yeah uh, uh, uh jim initial thoughts on gi blues i
1: you know i i it was it was an inoffensive movie unless you know you're a woman who doesn't like hearing men talk about how many women they've slept with her placing bets on who can sleep with more women or who can sleep with a woman yeah um but i mean it was a pretty inoffensive it's, movie, it's, the, it's the
0: screwballs spot.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's screwballs with less it's far tits.
0: more g rated this version of screwball
1: <laughs> i will say one thing i liked was i think most of the musical numbers i liked but at the end of the day i think this is just elvis porn you know it's it's Elvis is a big name. Elvis is a big star. Let's sell some Elvis movies and some Elvis songs. Oh yeah, songs and I mean, I mean, to a certain Elvis extent,
0: Indian. every Elvis movie was just cashing in on Elvis is a huge star. A yeah. few of them were actually solid movies with very good scripts. King Creole is legitimately a very very good movie, for example. Yeah. Loving You is yeah. very good. Viva Las Vegas is very good. Jailhouse Rock is very good. This one, yeah And this is very clearly too because Elvis, of course, served in the army over in germany from 1958 to 1960 and because he was drafted this was a time when there was draft in the peacetime look we all know the eisenhower administration was worried about elvis's corrupting influence on the youth and that's why they sent (laughs) him into the military but jokes on them because it backfired because elvis (laughs) actually gained a lot of respect of of non-youths by his actions in this because He was basically offered a chance to, I don't know if it was called USO, but basically instead of serving in the military because he was so famous, it's like, hey, you can just do this USO kind of tour and just perform for the troops. Or you can, like, we'll let you live in a mansion when you serve and we'll, like, you can kind (laughs) of, like, be on your own. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. I want to live like the other troops. And, And, like, I mean, I'm sure he got special treatment in a lot of ways. You know, they let him have an extra peanut butter and banana sandwich if he wanted. But like, <laughs> huh. for the most part, he lived kind of like a normal troop. And a lot of people, your you know, your parents who were worried about their teen daughter being turned evil because of rock and roll music looked at this Elvis guy and they're like, okay, you know, maybe he's not a half bad guy, you know? So it actually, really, the military kind of made him even more popular. And it's when he comes back from Germany that really his film career launches. He made a few movies in the 50s. I mentioned King Creole is 58. Loving You is 57. Love Me Tender is 56. But this was like the start of this period in Elvis history that I think among Elvis fans is still kind of mixed because, you know, the Elvis movies, there's some good ones, some bad ones. Some of the music in the Elvis movies is very good, but it's all poppy and it's not really too similar to the stuff he was doing in the 50s or the stuff he's mm-hmm. doing in the late 60s like with From Elvis in Memphis or with the 68 Comeback Special. So a lot of people don't really like it that much, you know, even Elvis fans. However, G.I. Blues has, dare I say, one of the best Elvis soundtracks. There's some really good music here.
1: G.I. Blues itself I think is a great song.
0: I think it's a fun Um, song. It's probably, like, my fourth or fifth favorite in the movie, though. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It is a fun song.
1: My top fun song for this movie, believe it or not, I don't know what you think about it, but it's Wooden Heart.
0: Okay, here's the thing. I've always somewhat disliked the song, Wooden Heart. You know, I don't care much for it. It sounds weird. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I mean, I, I heard it years before I'd ever seen this movie, and I'm like, oh, what's this, like, weird, like... Is that an accordion or harmonica? What the hell's going on there? I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. it's an adaptation of a German folk song, of course. And in the context of the movie, it's great. It, but just hearing it on its own, it's just like, what is this? Why, why did Elvis do this song? But this was yeah. that was actually yeah. the big hit of this movie. That was number one in the UK, that song.
1: It must be in part because of how well he did that scene, which I'm sure will that is a very fun scene point, that but...
0: that is arguably the most fun scene of the movie and this is for frame of reference for you listeners already bored out of their minds as we gush over Elvis this is a scene when he's going on a date with Lily his sort of girlfriend played by Juliet Prouse, who looks a lot like Brigitte Bardot but it's not her it's beautiful woman great dancer they stop by this like puppet show and they're like okay sure Elvis is like yo I'll watch this puppet show it makes me wish I was seven again and (laughs) the poor guy performing the music for the puppet show or not performing he puts it on a record player he's played by Lou Gehrig's dad in the pride of the Yankees I recognize that actor I think this is his last movie (laughs) um well I mean I, I don't know if he died right after it but he might have just retired anyways um but the record player isn't working and so elvis comes up to him and is like hey maybe i can help you out can you play this song in your accordion and i'll sing it and so he gets behind the stage and he's performing with the little girl puppet and he has great chemistry with that puppet and his voice (laughs) his voice is, is incredible on the song it really is i think 1960 this is the year of the album elvis is back One of my favorite records of all time. Elvis's voice arguably never sounded better than it did right when he got out of the army. He is so good and he's able to hit higher notes here than he could either earlier or later in his career. And he's shown off that voice in a number of songs, including here. He's very clearly not singing live, which, Mm -hmm. you know, no musicals really, musical movies really do. And when they do, it's like Les Mis and it's like embarrassing. (laughs) but Uh, here's the thing (laughs) this is (laughs) this is also a little embarrassing because i I, i'm 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 not even going to ask i I don't know if you notice this because of course you notice this the first big musical number we have Mm -hmm. is gi blues it's sung at some club that elvis and his band of merry men are performing at and the dubbing is so horrendously off
1: it is yeah
0: it is it was painful to watch, and I think, I think there's, there could be a few reasons for this. One is this is Elvis' first time shooting a movie in a while because he's been in the Army. This is also, I think, to a certain extent, I think if you're just that natural of a performer on stage— You don't always sing the same song or the song the same way twice. I know if you watch like the Blues Brothers, Aretha Franklin is way off when she's mouthing her song Think. And I've heard people say that's like, yeah, it's because she was just that great of a singer that she never sang the song the same way. (laughs) Um, So maybe that's the case here. But it also genuinely in this song, this is the weakest musical performance of the movie. It's not a bad song, but like Elvis seems like confused or like shy shy. Yeah. He yeah. seems a little off here. He's he's off his game a bit. And you the, could and maybe he, say that's the character. I don't know. Maybe it is. The yeah. character, of course. I mean, I basically call all Elvis protagonists in Elvis movies just Elvis. But his name is Tulsa, technically. But we're going to call him Elvis because he's Elvis.
1: I was thinking about when I was watching this scene, I thought maybe it looked so weird because he wasn't actually singing. He was just talking.
0: It does look for much of it like he's just talking and not singing. I agree. But I can't imagine... The director of this movie told him to talk and not sing. You know, the director, Norman yeah. Tarog? I, I think it's you, I don't know how you pronounce that name. But anyways, no one directed Elvis in more films than this guy. Although this was their first collaboration. So maybe some of the shakiness is bad communication between the two. Who knows?
1: If I'm being honest, it kind of took me out of the movie. I mean...
0: Very much in that scene. It gets better in other scenes, but it's never great. It does, yeah.
1: No, and I mean, for the most part, I don't... Like, in terms of acting, I don't think... Elvis is a terrible actor, but I think most of the other people in the movie are better actors than Elvis.
0: Oh yeah. And that's the thing about Elvis. And this is, I'm speaking from less from this movie and more just from having seen all Elvis films. He's not a great actor, but he has specific things he's good at and specific kind of, there's an appeal to him as a star, not just as a singer, because normally the music performances are the highlights and here, mm. I think they are to a certain extent, not necessarily this G.I. Blues scene, but I love his uh, Frankfurt special on the train. That's a lot of fun. Oh, that was a great. He's one, able yeah. to do it like he's just, just sitting down, and every time he goes, whoa, he like, stands up to do it. Like That's a lot of fun. The puppet scene, great stuff. Very mm. unlike his normal kind of stage persona as well. But so, I mean, normally, obviously, that's going to be a big part of Elvis movies. I think also Elvis is usually very good at he has some great chemistry with his female leads and i think that's on display here with juliet prowse i think they're pretty they they're pretty charming together
1: yeah i think i think the couple that really steals the show are um uh, what's his name cookie, cookie and, the, and the italian uh, and tina or whatever her name is cookie and the italian
0: the beagle lady <laughs> yeah yeah the, oh, yeah, Bagel the Beagle lady, lady. lady excuse me um yeah. <laughs> no yeah <laughs> The last thing I want to mention, and you do see this in this movie, is one thing that Elvis did better than just about any other actor from his era, at least that I've seen, the man could shoot a fight scene. He could throw a punch mm. in a convincing movie way. And I'm not saying this dude could go toe-to-toe with Floyd Mayweather or anything like that, but like <laughs> Elvis, the, the punches Elvis throws in movies look a lot more real than punches you'll see in just about any other 60s movie basically and there is a bar fight in this and you can even compare him with other actors his punches look more real they do
1: yeah i i totally agree with you but he puts his body into
0: those i mean he he, i don't know i mean you can yeah compare it to the early bond movies and some of the kind of the awkward action of like dr (laughs) no and like elvis kind of pulls that off better than uh connery did at least in that movie i think
1: Elvis throwing a convincing punch is great. Uh, there's a bit of comedy that I think Elvis pulls off well.
0: Yeah, he has decent comedic timing too. I I, I really do think uh, he's got that kind of the charming southern accent and he can kind of throw a joke in there. It's yeah, he's pretty good at that. He, again he's not he's not Johnny Carson but I mean he's pretty good.
1: No, but you know who he kind of reminded me of whenever he was doing like a bit of comedy stuff? He reminded me of Bing Crosby.
0: Okay, I haven't seen too many Bing Crosby movies.
1: He kind of delivered jokey lines in this, I don't even want to say same manner, but it was almost like the same tone that Bing Crosby would deliver these lines in, which I thought was really interesting. But that's what's so strange for me about this movie, watching Elvis, because as I had mentioned, I don't think he's the greatest actor, but he does something so well. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think most of the actors in the movie kind of outshine Elvis, except for the singing.
0: Well, and, he, and even some of the singing isn't that great, as we noted. But yeah,
1: the worst musical number for me was what was it, like "Pocket Full of Rainbows" or whatever. Oh, that's
0: the best song, though.
1: It's the best song, but I didn't like that scene, and I thought the singing in that scene looked especially well. That fake is a duet, so you're
0: asking Juliet Prowse also to do to do what Elvis <laughs> yeah. has done all movie. But no, that song <laughs> is incredible. If you if you're not familiar with that song, folks, check it out. It's great. I, I'll I'll just give a quick rundown of the songs i'd recommend from this movie it's more than half i think mm-hmm. but we've got we've got the title song that you mentioned It's pretty darn good i like it we've got frankfurt special which is probably the closest in this movie you get to kind of 50s elvis sounding it's i think yeah. that song is sort of like a 60s elvis production on like a 1954 sun sessions type song it has like that rockabilly feel but just a much bigger production because elvis and rca and everything you know yeah uh wooden heart i mentioned great scene personally not a big fan of the song but it works well in the scene i like when he has the kids sing the german part (laughs) which is good because i'm assuming elvis is probably mispronouncing half those words i don't don't know that (laughs) i don't know that for sure shopping around is a lot of is a lot of fun that song that's the one he performs at that's the first one he performs at cafe europa the first time he performs in Frankfurt.
1: Yeah, I really like that scene.
0: And I really like the song Doing the Best I Can, which is the second song he performs. And it's rudely, rudely interrupted by Blue Suede Shoes because some asshole, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some asshole flips on the uh, jukebox. But that's a, that's a fun song, too. You can argue yeah. the best song in this movie, and you'd probably be right, is Blue Suede Shoes, which we only hear on a jukebox. But whatever, you know. <laughs>
1: I thought that was actually pretty funny. I didn't expect, I mean, because again, I hadn't seen this movie for years, but rewatching this, I thought, oh wait, like (laughs) I didn't expect that. That's pretty, like it's kind of masturbatory in a way, but I I thought it fit really well and it made me laugh.
0: I understand what you mean. I would say it's masturbatory if like Elvis is the one who says like, no, we need blue suede shoes. I think (laughs) someone, the director, someone was like, we need like a rock and roll song to start this fight. And they're like, "Hey, we've got rights to Elvis music." And <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, that that was the amount of thought that went into that. If you think about it, because Elvis Tulsa, the character in this movie, is not really a professional musician. I mean, he performs a little bit in Germany, but then we hear that song and it's like, "Wait, this dude's got a number one hit in the US and from from four years ago. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. Or or he just sounds just like him.
1: Yeah, I thought there's definitely gonna be like a joke made about the guy on the jukebox sounding just like the guy on the stage or you know.
0: Yeah, they don't go there. The, <laughs> the best joke of that scene when the bar fight breaks out. I actually like this moment a lot, even though it's completely ruined. And I've like rewound it. Like I'm like, did I miss something? Elvis is apologizing for all the damage that happened with the fight and oh, I, think, yeah, like, I think he's yeah. like agreeing to pay the owner like some money or maybe he even gives him money and as yeah. he leaves he closes the, closes the door and the glass on the door breaks and then he like steps <laughs> yeah. back in and he says like oh sorry <laughs> except if you look at him he doesn't open his <laughs> mouth he, he very clearly doesn't say anything that's just 80 oh it's really very strange yeah <laughs> i've rewound it like a few times uh, and it's like oh, but like why have him even come back if he's not going to actually say the line like Either have that line just occur with him off screen or have him come back and have him actually say it. I don't know why they went, went with the ADR route. And I don't know why he comes yeah, back know, if that's like, not what he's saying.
1: It seems like that scene was supposed to end with Elvis kind of like half smirking going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, did I do that kind of thing? And that it was just going to cut. But yeah, the, the ADR. <laughs> <that weird laughs> it,
0: it's, oh. it's, it's a funny joke to end that scene on, but it's botched it is, in yeah. execution because it's so awkward. If you're getting bad ADR on that, like okay, maybe just this entire movie the sound was just weird because then that's why like the, some of the performances don't look very good. Uh, because whoever the hell was in charge of the ADR or the sy- syncing up sound and image just wasn't very good.
1: Speaking of performances, you know what performance? It's not meant to be funny, but it made me laugh out loud. Oh, like it an actor? Was, uh, the- yeah it was the first time that we see uh, uh lily dancing in the cafe europa okay and she's like dancing around then you know it, it keeps on switching between like musical genres and lights turning different colors okay but <laughs> i started thinking that like
0: it's a great dancing ca- by the way, it's pretty awesome it is it
1: is but i started thinking that like this was an episode of star trek where like kirk spock and mccoy like come to this like strange alien No, oh, she's doing the, this... like
0: the the green lady belly dancing <laughs> and, and yeah uh, yeah and scotty like... starts hitting on her or whatever
1: yeah, because this like, this, like, harsh green light at one point is, is on Lily in the movie, and I'm like, oh, no, this is like Star Trek.
0: <laughs> so for the most part, I mean, I think this movie's fairly enjoyable. The romance between Elvis and Lily is, like, it's all right. You mentioned romance between Cookie and Italian. You preferred that. hmm This movie's, like, all in all enjoyable. It's a fun little romp. It's nothing great. It's, as you said, inoffensive until... the last 10 or 15 minutes of this movie are painful they're not offensive if you find a grown man threatening a baby offensive maybe this will be offensive to you (laughs) Uh, at one point elvis does threaten a baby which is kind of great so the big climax of this movie is elvis has to babysit he has to babysit for so cookie is the main secondary character elvis is trying to sleep with lily and there's money on this and Elvis is replacing someone that got sent to North Africa Alaska. because he like oh Alaska, yes, because he like spoke up when he wasn't supposed to, so they're like, Ew, get the fuck out of here. So Elvis, <laughs> who's not comfortable with sleeping with women for money, I guess if you Allegedly. wanna like I mean that's phrased poorly, but he he's just like, No, if I if I'm with a woman I wanna like just be with her and not have anything else riding on it. But he's kinda forced into this and he's not <laughs> phrasing you know, and he's not huge on this, but then for for no reason cookie who's one of the people in elvis's company and thus rooting him on and cookie ends up with tina who's actually lily's roommate it turns yeah. out so he ends up cock blocking elvis at one yeah. point when elvis could have won the bet right there <laughs> but cookie's already at the apartment so game's over
1: which great twist by the way that was I oh like yeah that twist. <laughs> it <laughs> is no, like a, is
0: a twist actually yeah it's a fair point So that's Cookie. There's another character, and he specifically was excited to go to Frankfurt because he heard his, like, old girlfriend that I guess he—this is his second tour, or at least his second time in Frankfurt, and his old, like, kind of girlfriend, he heard that she's still in Frankfurt, or she's back in Frankfurt. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But when he goes to her old building, the landlady says, no, she's not here. I can't tell you where she is either, but she left. But then we learn, because the landlady speaks to this girl— She is there, but she's too embarrassed to talk to him because she now has a baby. At any rate, those who are off getting married, Elvis is on babysitting duty, and it is a baby. This is not a child. This is a baby. So Elvis doesn't know what he's doing as, as a babysitter, and this scene is going on longer than this discussion this scene goes on for way too long the baby won't shut the fuck up and elvis is kind of yelling at him he imitates his crying at one point which is kind of fun he threatens the baby he says something about like boy if i was your size kid i would just smack you or something or maybe if you were my size but it's just like oh my god (laughs) <laughs> you imagine your your kid is the kid in this scene, and you're like on set because it's a baby, and you like have to be there legally, and you, you get to see the king of rock and roll just yell at your baby like that'd be pretty great.
1: Yeah, and also also I feel bad for the kid because you know that this is the era where they're like pinching. The oh kid yeah, yeah, they're, they're making stuff, this. You know?
0: Yes, that's that. Why? That's the biggest reason this is uncomfortable is because they are making this kid cry. Not that they're literally doing anything to the kid. I mean, they might be. We don't really know, but at the very least the baby's crying and they're like oh this is great nobody nobody do anything let's shoot the scene now you know that's that's the best case scenario basically and it's not cool but anyways um, yeah, this is I- where you need your american sni- sniper fake baby and just adr in the cries
1: <laughs> yeah the adr and everything else you know
0: <laughs> so at any rate elvis calls up his girlfriend and she comes to help babysit kind of reluctantly and eventually i mean obviously El- elvis is able to get the kid to to calm down because he sings the kid a lullaby like why he, you're elvis presley why didn't you at least try that but i mean this scene <laughs> is so long and this is the climax of the movie it really is uh, yeah and it's like it's structured like it should be like resolution between the elvis and lily plot except there's not a whole lot of conflict between those two
1: it's weird because this whole baby scene shakes out where <laughs> the elvis baby feels bad shakes that he's <laughs> Yeah, shaken baby syndrome. Which I'm sure that was a, in a cut scene. Elvis grabbed the kid.
0: No, no, this, but, is, uh, this is on Norman. <laughs> Elvis, Elvis didn't do a goddamn thing to this baby. This is the director.
1: <laughs> this whole scene comes about by way of like Elvis wants to stop seeing Lily because he feels bad that he's just in it for a bet. Which, by the way, he's trying to get money so he can get an extra three hundred bucks to. Put oh yeah, he on, wants like, to start a his payment for a club in Oklahoma. Yeah,
0: a noble goal. I mean, if you're yeah, Elvis, no, no, like yeah, no. who in the world wouldn't benefit from an Elvis-run music club? Like, that that's a great thing. Yeah,
1: no, I agree. But he feels bad about this bet, so he kind of breaks things off with Lily. He's like, hey, you know, I'm in the army and I'm going to be shipped out probably in like a year. Maybe we shouldn't hang out anymore. She goes, mm-hmm. oh, so you don't want to hang out? And he goes, yeah, I don't want to hang out anymore. And then as Elvis is kind of upset and looking for something to do, his friend, I forget his name, his friend cookie. comes up, right? And he's like, hey, me and Marla are going to go oh, get the other married. With no, friend. Yeah, Cookie's, not yeah.
0: Cookie, this other guy.
1: Yeah. So he's like, hey, Elvis, me and Marla are going to go get married. Can you watch the kid? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I guess so. How do you have a kid? I don't care. I'll watch it. Sure. It, it's when the kid starts crying. He's like, oh, uh, hey, you know who I should call to help me with this? Yeah. Lily. And it's just like. just comes out of nowhere well yeah and i guess i guess
0: the problem is it's like when they kind of break things off neither one is really angry at the other it's just kind of elvis being like hey maybe this isn't a great idea you know she's not mad at him Mm -hmm. i think for there to be conflict and for this scene thus to be resolution like someone needs to be pissed at someone you know yeah yeah, like there needs to be making up made instead of just like i saw you yesterday but not today sure i'll come over like, like that's yeah. kind of what the scene is
1: the worst part about the scene i just remembered isn't that the kid is crying like nonstop because you know the director people just off just, like just out of frame of the camera are pinching the kid and stuff they're it's just when... making
0: loud noises it's, it, hopefully it's just noises
1: yeah well but the worst part this is, kid though, is... grew up
0: deaf maybe <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh poor kid but no the worst part is that when what's her name lily and elvis are hanging out and elvis is like because he takes the kid to her house right and the kid falls asleep and elvis is like "Oh, i, I guess i better go and she's like yeah i guess you should because you know he's he's asleep but elvis looking at the time is like oh wait i can win this bet if people think i i slept with her by just leaving in the morning so lily gets up to go do something and elvis is like come on kid wake up and like the kid is like this baby is genuinely asleep and then like, he grabs him and starts like smacking his chest and like tickling him and stuff and then the baby just wakes up crying again yeah. <laughs> that was the worst part yeah, yeah. Yeah, poor kid. Uh, no, I
0: will say I will say with this because I think we're kind of done here. We didn't talk, like I said, we didn't talk about the plot a whole lot. We covered the best scenes, the best and worst scenes, the best and worst musical numbers. Before I ask for your thoughts on this movie overall, I just want to say one thing that this movie doesn't do, or I guess it's good that this movie doesn't do this. So we mentioned sort of Elvis's strengths or his kind of appeal as an actor specifically in music in some of his comedic timing his ability to throw a good movie punch and mm-hmm. his chemistry with his female leads but obviously the big uh, the big the main one there is the music and a lot of elvis musicals have the tendency to not include nearly enough music there'll be like four songs maybe here we that's not a problem we get a ton of songs this is this is yeah. a full-on musical The music numbers are pretty, for the most part, they're well timed out. Like, okay, it's been 10 minutes since we've had a song. Okay, we're going to get one here. That's great. So there's that to, you know, in that sense, it's one of the better Elvis movies, because again, probably half the Elvis movies didn't apparently figure out that Elvis's strength as an actor is his singing, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think that's definitely the best part of this movie. It's, it's, it's the musical numbers. And I've for the most part i like all of them i think except really for pocket full of rainbows which again is a great song i just don't like how it is shot how it is done in the movie. well
0: the entire thing being on green screen or whatever i I don't know if it was called green screen back then. i looked
1: it up i think it was the director or the guy who wrote the script visited elvis in 59 in uh west germany yes yeah this movie was
0: it was um conceived when he was still in the military because they wanted to like shoot it As soon as he got out, I guess, because this was going to be his first big movie back. And so while all of Elvis and really all of the main cast, all of their scenes were shot in Hollywood, there's a bunch of exteriors and stuff that were all shot in Germany while Elvis was in the military. And because of that, you get a lot of... Again, I don't know if they were actually called green screens back then, but that kind of thing. Rear view projection, Yeah, I think, that kind of thing. Rear projection. And for the most part, it doesn't look very good. There's a few, I thought I thought it looked pretty good when just all the soldiers were just standing in a line when their uh, sergeant or whatever was talking to them. Like, okay, that looks pretty good. It looks mm-hmm. bad when they're in a car. It looks bad on the little ski lift because anything from that era in a, with a moving car looked bad, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, well there's even a shot where Cookie and the other guy are standing out in front of like the entrance for the army compound in Germany yeah. and Elvis hops into the car with Lily and as soon as he hops into the car with Lily, it's that rear view projection. And they cut back to Cookie and the other guy, and it's also clearly like rear view projection, but it's like you could have just built like two little like styrofoam pillars to denote the entrance of like this base. Yeah, know, I yeah, I mean
0: it. that's true. I I do like that they as much as it might not look great there it is there is something neat about that there was so much shooting in germany and they had to coordinate pretty well certain things because they use stand-ins like that scene that you're talking about elvis getting in a car it's not actually elvis getting in a car it's a stand-in getting in the car however once we cut to the car then it is elvis so like that kind of thing is actually really neat it's probably not a very easy movie to make you're right
1: that splicing together of the scenes like that really is interesting but once you notice it once you notice that Elvis actually isn't in Germany while they're filming this movie and that it's just a bunch of stand-ins, like, I think they had something like, I forget who it was, but this guy was also in the army and he was Elvis's double. But, like, all the shots of Elvis walking in, like, Frankfurt are, are you know, from, like, 40 feet away. And yeah. It's, it's of him, like, rounding a corner or something or going into a building.
0: So, but, yeah. uh, what are your, kind of, your final thoughts on G.I. Blues? Did you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I enjoyed it. Again, as I said at the beginning, it was pretty inoffensive. I doubt you thought this. I thought it was a little slow, to be honest. In some parts, like I was just kind of waiting for. This is, I mean, this more is to fast paced
0: as hell compared to Alien, but okay.
1: exactly,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, well, this movie is cranked for... too high voltage compared to Alien.
1: Because <laughs> this movie, how how long was GI Blues? It was like an hour and a half or something. Yeah, like hour
0: that. and a half, hour forty something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it felt to me about as long as Alien, which I, it is about as long as Alien, I guess. But like, for Alien's, some reason, I aliens just felt an hour slow. fifty. Yeah. But yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a little slow at parts, which I don't know why I did. It's just something strange I felt. But good, inoffensive, lighthearted Elvis romp.
0: If I were not an Elvis fan, I would not enjoy this movie. If I were not a big Elvis fan, if I were just kind of a casual Elvis fan, I would probably steer away from his movies for the most part. And this one. <laughs> Like I said, I don't think is one of my favorite Elvis movies, even though there are very good, it's one of the better Elvis soundtracks, but it's, you usually get a lot out of the song performances and with the exception really of Wooden Heart and maybe Frankfurt Special, you really don't hear. So, I mean, I guess I like the movie, but I don't love it. It's not great. I enjoy the movie enough. You know, it's fine. Whatever.
1: Going off your point yet, if you're a super fan of the movie, I think you're going to enjoy it. Um... If well no shit if you're a super fan.
0: fan of Alien you're going to enjoy Alien. Well is exactly. That what you're yeah, saying? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean but th- If you're an Elvis point, super
0: fan is what you're saying.
1: Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. And you know <laughs> if if you're and as you brought up if you're a casual fan, most casual fans probably steer clear of it. If you're a casual fan, you you'll probably still get enjoyment out of it. But I I, I do think Elvis so is like... an
0: enjoyable on-screen persona. I he's agree. he's kind of classic lighthearted, romantic comedy leading man. I mean, take away the music. I think he's still not a great actor, but he's a charming person to watch on screen.
1: Well, you know, I think my girlfriend put it best when we were watching it together, but she looked up and she said, oh, he's cute. He's a cute man. This seems like a cute movie. I think she summed it up pretty well it's a cute movie with a cute man
0: a man with the best hair in human history although yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit shorter for this movie because they're giving him that i mean it's still too long it's not military regulation but, it, <laughs> but it's but it's a little bit shorter than it would normally be for elvis
1: yeah how would you uh stack these up i guess as a drive-in double feature do you think it works do you think it doesn't work
0: I don't think it really does. I mean, I know I already know what you're going to say. You're going to say, oh, it sucks. as a double feature because I don't think you've recommended <laughs> a single double feature yet. But uh, no, I mean, I That's think not true for me, I'm just not a big Alien fan. And I think even if you are a big Alien fan, G.I. Blues isn't the movie you want to follow it up with because it's just mm-hmm. not just that they're different, but like, I mean, for me, it was like, I mean, Alien is lots of blacks and grays. It's kind of nice to see like a more colorful, bright movie in G.I. Blues. But it's just, you know, something's off.
1: Well, uh, Patrick, I actually recommend this one. No, I'm kidding. I, uh, (laughs) I agree with you. Yeah. And it's not that I wouldn't see a double feature like this. And you're right. The Elvis movie is kind of a nice, refreshing thing after Alien, which is so dark. Alien feels like dark, dirty and sweaty, you know, Yes. Elvis feels and nice Milky. and uplifting. Don't forget Milky. And Milky. Oh yeah, Milky. <laughs> but yeah. Elvis is nice and uplifting, but there's just they're just so different from each other that I don't think if you're an Elvis fan you're gonna sit through Alien, and I don't think if you're an Alien fan you're gonna sit through Elvis. Uh,
0: which of these two movies did you prefer?
1: Um. Honestly, I'm gonna go with Alien. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a big Elvis fan, but I think I like Alien more.
0: This will surprise you because I'm also going Alien, but I, I will say a good Elvis movie. A Flaming Star, a Loving You, a King Creole, for me, absolutely beats Alien. But this is a mid to lower tier Elvis movie. And honestly, it's it's a pretty darn good movie until the baby stuff. And so <laughs> yeah. prior to the baby stuff, this movie's well above Alien in my eyes. And then baby <laughs> stuff, it's like a cliff dive after that. Like, oh, that's that stuff's so uncomfortable and it's so long i'm not wild about alien i do respect obviously you know it's, it's 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 a good movie i enjoy it but it's not the most entertaining for me but i respect it even if i don't really respect ridley scott
1: <laughs> well you know it's funny we actually have two movies about uh about babies uh one is a baby attacking men and one is uh a man a man attacking uh, a yelling baby. at a baby <laughs>
0: yes uh... <laughs> So let's see if we've got any baby-related movies next time. Let me check. (laughs) I don't think so, although one of these movies I haven't (laughs) seen in a while. But anyways, the movies we have up next are Ready or Not, the 2019 film starring Samara Weaving. It was at least recently available on HBO Max, but I believe it no longer is, so that sucks. And then we have Game of Death, the 1978 Bruce Lee martial arts movie uh i don't believe that's available streaming anywhere either but yes this is our first martial arts movie coming up you can't talk about drive-in movies and not talk about bruce lee or jackie chan or so that having been said revenge of the drive-in will return with ready or not and game of death thanks for joining us and we hope to see you in the future this has been patrick and jim and we're signing off